Hey everyone, this is Kevin Islin, and you are listening to another episode of Folk Stories. Folk Stories is a podcast where we have long form conversations with founders, innovators, and top performers. We talk about how they got here, what they do, and the stories that they have to share. Today, my guest is Robert Sweeney, CEO of Facet, the premier platform for hiring senior contract software engineers. Before becoming a founder, Robert was a senior software engineer at companies such as Netflix and Microsoft. Robert knew from an early age that he wanted to be an entrepreneur from working at his grandpa's grocery shop. Robert left Netflix with a friend to start a software development studio with an initial verbal contract from Western Digital. In 2014, Robert founded Numetric, a SaaS-based analytics startup. After working on the company for close to four years, hiring over 40 employees and raising over $16 million in venture capital, Robert was fired from that very company that he founded. Today, Robert is working full-time on Facet and helping other engineers make the leap from full-time work to doing their own thing. In today's episode, we will talk about negotiating contracts, hiring and firing friends, and that time Robert's house almost burned down. And now, without any further ado, I give you Robert Sweeney. Robert, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I want to start by asking you about your venture into startups. So I think you started off working in industry. And then at some point within that career path, you decided that that wasn't the best path where you had, a, you had a decision to go into startup land. And I know that that's a decision that a lot of engineers and people grapple with. And frankly, most people never make that jump. Mm-hmm. And so what inspired you to do that? So can I tell the long version? Please. answer? Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, my grandpa uh, lived in a little town in Oklahoma called Ada. And uh, when I was a kid, we lived in Maryland. Um, and uh, he owned a, uh, a grocery store, like a little 7-Eleven convenience store. And my parents would send me out uh, in the summers to work at his grocery store. And um, uh, I, I loved working at his store. I loved that he owned the store and that he was an entrepreneur and... I, that's where my love of business and entrepreneurship came from, uh, was the uh, three or four weeks every summer that I spent at my grandpa's little grocery store. And um, uh, around that same time, I fell in love with computers. Um, I discovered QBasic and um, started writing little uh, programs and realized that uh, I could actually get paid to do this. Uh, and so I decided to take myself down that career path, um, but always wanted to be an entrepreneur. So my plan uh, was to go to school, get a computer science degree, uh, go work in the industry for a couple years, then get an MBA, and then um, uh, do a startup, because uh, I was convinced that you needed an MBA in order to be able to start a business, or that it would help you. And um, the problem with going into industry is that you start getting that paycheck and it's really hard to not have a paycheck and and go back to being a student. And uh, so I I graduated from uh, Brigham Young University and uh, took a job at Microsoft um, and uh, worked there for longer than I planned. Um, 
it was a uh, um, so I started on the Windows operating system team, and then I moved to Xbox. And I'm a huge gamer, um, and so I loved my job. I loved uh, um, uh, what I did every day, and um, I probably would have stayed um, even longer at Microsoft, um, but uh, one during one of the annual annual reviews, um, I was expecting a uh, a great review. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember what the rating system worked, but I think it was an E uh, twenty um, exceeded expectations and in the top twenty percent. And instead, I got an A seventy, which is just like the big like you're doing fine bucket. And I was so upset um, that it just it it um, woke me up um, to the, that this isn't what I wanted to be doing in my career I wanted to be running my own business I wanted to have control over my own destiny um, still wanted to be in software but um, didn't want to be working for the man um, and uh, uh, so the uh, I ended up taking a job at Netflix um, so that I could be in Silicon Valley and um, meet my my co-founder my um, business co-founder um, and uh, so I uh, left Microsoft, worked at Netflix for a couple of years, and the um, uh, experience at Netflix was made was is an amazing company. I mean, it was when I was working there. Um, I loved everything about that company. They have a great engineering blog. Their Netflix operational blog is one of the best. Mm. Yeah, they're they're like truly exceptional. Like I was blown away by the, the people that I got to work with every day. And, and in a lot of ways, I felt like um, I didn't belong, like a little bit of the imposter syndrome. Um, but I think everybody at Netflix felt that way um, uh, because you're, you're surrounded by a lot of really, really smart people. Um, and uh, anyways, started, uh, convinced uh, a former coworker of mine at Microsoft to come and work at Netflix as well and that we had started a company together. Um, so I, I started looking for a business co-founder, and so I went to all these um, meetups in Silicon Valley to to meet um, the right person, and uh, I just didn't have any luck. I, I um, and and it really would have been a bad idea to try and partner up with somebody that I met at a random meetup. Um, choosing your co-founder is a lot like choosing who you're going to marry, and it's a huge commitment. It's actually. Uh, if you spend way more time with the person that you're co-founding with and there could be a lot more uh, intense experience that you have together and, um, and so uh, meeting somebody at a, uh, a random meetup would have been a really bad idea so glad that didn't work out um, so I ended up um, starting a company with uh, a friend of mine his name is Damien and uh, uh, we weren't sure what we were going to do um, but we just knew that we wanted to do some sort of startup. And uh, how the company, my first company got started was um, uh, pretty lucky, I'd say. Um, I had a friend who still worked at Microsoft who was in the, um, uh, worked with partners. And it was his job to get um, hardware companies to build apps for Windows 8. So this is when Windows 8 was coming out and uh, they were launching their app store. Um, and uh, he said, hey, you should set up a company that um, specializes in making apps for Windows 8. I've got all these uh, partners that want to build an app, 
and there's nobody out there with any experience doing that. And um, we'd been actually working on the Windows 8 app for Netflix at the time. And um, he said, um, I need to send them referrals to somebody. Might as well be you. And uh, so we set up our, our company, created a website, and uh, um, started building some uh, uh, demo apps to kind of show that we had um, experience building Windows 8 apps. And uh, really, like, the, the, what we did to what we thought was important to launch the company was really not important like building apps to put in a portfolio really didn't matter we should have been doing marketing and, and sales and um, we had no idea what we were doing uh, but luckily um, <clears throat> uh, one day uh, my friend at Microsoft sent us a referral uh, and it was to um, the VP of um, product at Western Digital and um, they're a pretty big company. They're, they're a very big company. And here we were, two guys who had this janky website, and you know, still had full-time jobs at Netflix, and uh, trying to pretend like we were uh, a legit software company, and um, uh, had never really done a sales call before. And uh, uh, he, we we got on the phone. He sent a, He described what they were trying to do. And we knew we could build it. I mean, that wasn't an issue. And I think that, that confidence um, helped a lot um, in the sales process. Um, we, we weren't salesmen in any way. We were just engineers trying to solve a problem for them. And so um, I think that that helped us in, um, in that deal. Um, sent us the specs. Um, and I probably shouldn't share this, but the way we decided to, to price it was... Um, well, we really like our jobs at Netflix, so it would be a stupid number for them to pay to um, for this software, and, and, and then we'll quit. And so we, we told them it cost half a million dollars. And we felt like we could do it in uh, just a few months. We could hire a couple of contractors um, to help us out. And so when we gave him the price on the phone, his response was, okay. Enterprise sales. <laughs> I was like, "What? That's so much money!" Um, but it, it, I mean, it's something you learn um, when you do this for a while is that, um, yeah, enterprise sales. You, when you're solving a real problem for them, they, um, they're generally very high value, and so price. Um, uh, people tend to under under bid their projects, and we, it, given how quickly he said yes, we probably underbid, but uh, it ended up being. Uh, uh, a great deal for us and uh, and was that enough for you guys to quit Netflix at that point yeah so um, I we decided that it was beforehand but once but that was when we were expecting them to say no and when they said yes we were like okay I guess <laughs> I guess we really need to decide if we're going to do this and um, uh, what, what it what it was for us was um so again, like not wanting to give up that stable salary and go to med school, or not med school, uh, get an MBA. Um, the uh, it was the same thing with doing a startup. Um, my wife was fully supportive of the idea of um, me being an entrepreneur, uh, but didn't necessarily want to to be poor throughout the process. And um, so we. Um, uh, part of that number calculation was um, okay with 
$500,000, we can pay ourselves a great salary, and um, it'll only take us about three months to do this, and that gives us another nine months to find some other project um, to, um, to, to work on next. And so plenty of runway buffer, we felt like a super low risk. And if in nine months time, we hadn't found something else, we would just go back to Netflix or Google or somewhere else. Um, that's one of the, the great things about being an engineer, at least in today's market, is that um, you can afford to take these risks and know that like, there are dozens of companies out there that are super hungry to have you working for them. So if it doesn't work out in your startup, then you can go um, back to the, the corporate world. Yeah, I find that that's actually a conversation I've had with a lot of other uh, of my peers and my friends who are also thinking about this. But the thing is, I find that even though you can tell yourself that and intellectually you know that, okay, if this doesn't work out, I can always, there are you know, over two dozen different companies that will hire me if I just walk in the door right now. It still psychologically feels like you're walking off a cliff, even when intellectually it doesn't seem like it is that. It, it does, yeah. And I think it would have felt more like that for us if we hadn't had this contract lined up. And it, it wasn't completely risk-free for us. We we had to make the decision like that day because there was only like eight weeks left until it was shipped, and so we had only a certain amount of time. We had to get this project done. Um, and that didn't give us give us enough time to actually sign a contract, and so we quit our jobs on a, a verbal yes from the from Western Digital. Um, and I, I may have forgotten to tell Damien that <laughs> <laughs> until we were a couple weeks in, and and I we were in a, having a conversation, and I mentioned that uh, the uh, the the contract was close to signing, and he was like, "Wait, it's not signed yet," and I was like, "Sorry." Um, How did that conversation go afterwards? Did, did he take it well? I think yeah. I think he 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 was nervous, but um, uh, I think he the, the contract ended up getting signed pretty quick after that. So luckily, it did get signed. Otherwise, uh, I would have been in a lot of trouble. So don't do that. Make sure you're very communicative and transparent. I did, definitely didn't intentionally hide it. Um, uh, it's just. Uh, wasn't something that we had talked about, and so here I am. You know, a uh, I was a senior software engineer at Netflix and had quit my job, and I was on the phone with the uh, uh, in-house counsel for Western Digital, Fortune 500 company, negotiating our contract. And I didn't know anything about contracts or law or anything like that, um, and I just kind of did it. And I think did you do anything to help you get up to speed and like ask people or Google it? I did. Yeah, I, I um, reached out to um, some friends who were uh, uh, like a, a CFO, uh, or I, I didn't have a, like a, a network of lawyers to reach out to. So I had very few uh, personal people to talk to, but they did. They were super helpful. Um, and then yeah, most of it was just. Uh, Googling and internet research on the fly. Um, it's kind of, uh, you know, uh, okay, I have this call in uh, tomorrow afternoon, and I guess I better figure out what terms I want in the contract. I mean, first they asked us to send them a contract, and I was like, uh, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> so I Googled, downloaded some template, threw something in there, and they were like, yeah, thanks, we're just going to make our own. And so they ended up using their paper. 
for the contract, which is better anyway. But we were able to negotiate some terms in there um, that, like, we wanted to retain um, IP ownership to stuff that we felt was generic. So, like, libraries that would help us, um, uh, that we might want to open source someday, um, or that would help us build future apps. And they actually agreed to it. Um, and I didn't think they would. Uh, but um, we felt like it was important to our business, and so we asked for it. And I mean, I think that it's one of the um, things that entrepreneurs often forget is that you know if there's real value to what you're doing for uh, a company, even though they are the heavyweight in the room, you don't have to to give in to anything they ask for. So like payment terms, uh, you can put push back on that. Most corporations will try and get as uh, as long a period as they can to, to pay for your work because it's like an interest-free loan for them. Um, and uh, that it doesn't matter to them, but it matters a lot to you. And so um, uh, you, have to be, you have to be willing to, to walk away from a contract, I think, to have the right mindset um, to be able to uh, ask for the things that you want and, and stand your ground. And um, most, most big corporations, I mean, at the end of the day, they're people on the other end of the negotiations and they understand they want to work together um, uh, uh, have a win-win looking at that initial contract what were some things that you think you guys uh, got right and what were some things that if you could do it over again you would have changed um, things we got right um, so the retain uh, asking for um, I, retaining the intellectual property to um, what we call library code um, uh, that's been in our contracts ever since um, and it's not uh, very common I don't think in the industry and it's super valuable to us um, uh, so we got that um, I'm, I'm really happy with how that ended up um, I'm trying to think what else um, uh, I remember being on the phone and sweating like crazy negotiating um, with their lawyers uh, because he was using words that I didn't understand um, uh, and, but there were definitely some points in the contract I have to think about that see if I can remember some of them yeah and we can always circle back to this later okay um, but you had the contract it sounds like you delivered the project um and then you're looking at, okay, you have a bunch of runway and seeing what the next thing was. What happened afterwards? Yeah, so I'm going to come back to that. It's not, it's never, um, it never goes as smoothly as you think it's going to go. So we had a very clear specification. Um, we set expectations on both sides and, and we built what we said we were going to build. But somehow, somewhere along the way, um, uh, the... Uh, there were a couple of people on the Western Digital side who um, misunderstood what we were, we were going to be delivering. And um, I still remember to this day getting that phone call and just being yelled at over the phone about how we, we weren't delivering what we said we were going to deliver. And, I mean, she was screaming at me. And um, I mean, generally you don't want to do that um, to uh, somebody that you're working with. Um, but you have to be ready for that kind of stuff and it was it was a as a as an entrepreneur and um uh it was an unpleasant experience but by the end of the call um we i'd gotten her calmed down and we had come to uh, uh, 
an agreement that was going to be um, uh, work for both of us, and that resulted in a, a contract, um, additional contract. So they, there were additional things they wanted to do. Um, uh, one of the things about doing custom software development is that is it always happens is feature creep. It's, you mm-hmm. you get the spec, and and they start as you start building it, they're like, oh, wouldn't it be great if we did this? And you have to be super disciplined about saying, we can absolutely do that. What do you want to, to take out in order to do that? Um, and uh, that forces them to to get into the mindset that you know um, there's a there there's a limited amount of time that we have here, um, and so they have to get really um, uh, thoughtful about uh, is this more important than what is currently in there, and it also um, turns into great. Uh, upsell opportunities. So um, you go uh, uh, keeping a list of all these additional things that they wanted to add, and so when you're done with the first phase of the project, then you get back to them and say, okay, here's all the stuff we talked about um, as we were developing V1, um, stuff that we wanted to do in V2. Uh, what do you want to roll into V2? And, uh, and so that's what we did. Um, it was, again, like uh, just it came naturally. It's something that you do every day as an engineer when PMs come to you and tell you to add this stuff to the sprint and you say, oh, you want to give up? And it translated really well into um, working with um, clients. Um, so we ended up doing a couple of follow-on projects with them. Um, and uh, uh, but we knew we were going to have to find some additional customers eventually. And uh, I remember, so my first hire um, uh, for our company was somebody to do business development for us. Um, so we had two technical founders um, who didn't know anything about sales, and so we were like, okay, we got to get somebody to do sales for us. And um, uh, that was not the right thing to do. Um, something that I've, I've learned in my year since is that it's very important for the founders um, to be doing the sales in the beginning. Um, and so that's just something you're, you're going to have to learn as a founder and get, and get comfortable with. And you can't delegate that. Um, there's too many, especially if you're doing a, a startup that's um, in a new space or, or, or in a new, it's, it's a new product category. Um, it, it's much more important in that setting because you need to be there in front of the customers, hearing their feedback, hearing what they say. Um, uh, because a sales guy, typically, most salespeople are um, they, they they work best best when they they have a script and boundaries, and they you know this is what we can do, this is what we can't do. Um, and it takes a founder to be able to uh, adapt on the fly and know when to say, yeah, we can do that, or um, no, that's really outside of our our area of expertise and so um, we hired a, somebody to do business development uh, he did land a, a crazy good deal for us um, uh, which I I, um, I can't go into detail too much but it ended up costing us like $10,000 to, to build it and they paid about 600000 for it um, and uh, uh that was a great deal. <laughs> I wish every deal <laughs> could be like that. Um, so it sounds like even though he did manage to get, or she managed to get a 
get your like inner hole you sure would have um, done the sales yourself knowing what you do now yeah absolutely um, I mean he was an excellent um, uh, um, employee uh, worked really hard um, there's a, r- a lot of reasons why it went wrong I mean the number one is that um, we, we should have been the ones out there um, listening to customers so like he at one point brought us feedback that people didn't want to build Windows 8 apps and this, so this is back when Windows 8 was still um, uh, uh, trying to build their market share in the app world and um, and so he encouraged us to get out of that um, niche and um, we we weren't there listening to the customer feedback um, and so we didn't give him as much weight as we should have and um, and so that's not his fault that was um, our fault for for not listening to him and he was right um, we uh, shortly after he left and we started doing the sales again um, we started finding a lot more work in iOS and Xbox and um, other um, uh, platforms and lines of business um, and uh, the that that's I think one of the the fundamental challenges of um, hiring a salesperson is you don't know when it's just them not being an effective salesperson and when it's really the customer and so you have to be able to be there doing the sales so you can make that call. Um, and he's gone on to have a, a an amazing career. Um, I, it, that was the first experience I ever had firing somebody. Um, and he was a good friend, um, and I felt terrible, but it was a wonderful thing for, for him and his career. Um, he's now uh, a VP of uh, marketing and inside sales at Vivint, and uh, so they're a huge um, company in the Utah area. Do you remember how the conversation was like when you had to walk in and tell your friend that this wasn't going to work out? Like, how did you wait the news? Yeah. Um, I, I cried after that conversation, after he went home. Um, uh, it was um, uh, the first time I'd ever done it, didn't know what to do. Um, uh, it's definitely one of the hardest things about being uh, a, a founder is, I mean, you select the people that you work with and you're really careful and you have the opportunity to pick the very best people in the world. Um, to be on your team and sometimes you get it wrong and um, in spite of them not being the right fit for the role um, they're, they're still really great friends and they've, they've still been through so much with you and um, I mean there's so many great memories that I had um, with, uh, with our head of business development and um, I, we were still working out of my basement at the time and so we took him into this one of our, our guest room um, and and just said, look, we we don't think this is the, the right fit for you. Um, uh, we we think you're amazing. We love working with you, um, but um, we we have to let you go. Um, and I had a, so I, I felt so embarrassed and um, ashamed for having to fire my friend that I didn't talk to him for years, um, and until about. Uh, three months ago um, and I, I said hey look I, let's go to lunch I'd love to catch up 
and I got to hear things from his perspective for the first time, and it was really interesting. Um, I mean, it, some of it was what I expected, um, and like I knew or I thought that he would be, you know, com- completely um, you know, scared. You know, he just got let go, and we we I think we gave him a month severance, maybe two months, um, but. No matter how long, how long it is, it's still a ticking clock. We're like, okay, I gotta find a job before that runs out, and and that's exactly what he was feeling um, at the time. Um, but he actually, so we were having lunch, and he um, he actually uh, thanked me for um, uh, letting him go and uh, giving him the opportunity to go find a, um, something that was a better fit for for him um, because he felt like he out of loyalty to me and the company, um, he probably would have stayed there um, uh, until we had um, decided to let him go. Um, and uh, so while it was a traumatic experience um, for both of us at the time, um, it uh, what, what helps me now is knowing that it's really better for everybody. And um, I'm still not not good at those conversations um, and they, people will tell you you don't ever want it to be a surprise and I don't know how you do that I, I think it's it's um, people um, uh, I get, unless you say we, we are going to fire you unless X, Y, and Z changes um, it's hard for the the message to get through and if as soon as you say something like that then it's going to change their performance and their behavior they might start looking for another job or they might um, have anxiety every day uh, they come to work um, and uh, so I definitely um, am very uh, 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 proactive about communicating feedback with people um, but it still always seems to come as a surprise I think that's one of the hardest things to do, um, having talked to some other business founders, is this dealing with people, especially dealing with people that you might have to let go, especially if you know them well. Um, and it's you know some, one of the things where, like right now, where I'm looking at my own business and bringing on more people, um, the idea of, well, I have these really good friends that I want to bring on, but should I bring them on? Like, what parts yeah. about our history will make this easier versus harder if it yeah. doesn't work out? Yeah, everybody you have, everybody you hire, you, you have to you remind yourself that I have to be willing to fire this person. And um, like I hired my dad at one point. Um, <laughs> luckily, I never had to fire him because he's fantastic. Mm. He does. He's our, he's been the CFO at every single one of the companies that I've started. Um, uh, but uh, there have been many times where I've hired friends, and uh, that hasn't been the case. And um, it's a tough call. Like I, I don't, I don't know if I could say definitively one way or the other. Hire your friends, don't hire your friends, because there are benefits to hiring them, especially in the early stages where y- you need that bond um, to to one take the risk on you. Like it's hard to c- convince strangers who don't know you that they should believe in you and your business idea um, and your, that this startup is going to be a success. Um, but you 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 can uh, do that more effectively with friends and and then the, you have that extra layer of glue to help you through some of the tough times because there <clears throat> there's always um, 
uh, it, it's always way harder than you think it's going to be. And um, going through those challenges with, with friends um, is can be a great thing. Um, Something yeah. I'm curious about uh, when you're hiring friends, when you're talking to friends, is that that are you talking to them at a time when they too are thinking of looking at startups and doing the startup life, or is it more of a pitch where like you have somebody that you think is suited for perfectly suited for the goal, but they have a career right now, and you try to sell them on the idea of joining your startup? Like, how do those conversations go for you? Um, I definitely. Uh, so over the years, my um, uh, approach on that has evolved. Uh, I used to take the stance that you know, if I can convince you to come work at a startup, then <clears throat> it didn't matter where you were in your career, um, you could be a great fit for our company. Um, uh, now, my, my feeling is that uh, you want people at your startup that actually want to work at a startup. Um, because um, their their drives and motivations are going to be more in line with yours as a founder versus um, like, like somebody who might be a fantastic engineer um, but is expecting a fantastic salary to go along with it. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I believe in paying your employees as much as you can. That's something that I took away from my time at Netflix. They paid top of market. And so even at my um, startup companies, I try and um, uh, uh, follow that um, uh, rule to pay um, competitively. Um, but the, uh, the the ups and downs and the bumps in the road and the shifts in direction, like all that stuff that's normal for a startup, um, just will be very unhealthy for somebody who doesn't want to be in that environment. And so um, I, I will still, so like my, um, the recent pivot we made to my current company, Facet, um, and in that process, I hired a uh, partner to um, run operations for the company. And uh, he was a, uh, a salesman at Stryker and um, they, he was doing very, very well. Um, and uh, he wanted to work in startups, but um, uh, he was very comfortable at his current job. And uh, so it took several meetings and uh, selling the vision of the company and what it could be, become one day um, to get him on board. And so I think that's totally okay and expected. Um, but uh, he 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 wanted to be at a startup. He wanted to help build it and to to experience the um, ups and downs and uncertainty and all that kind of stuff. So all the fun stuff that goes with building a startup. Uh, one of the stories I heard, so something I like to do before I interview my guests is talk to people that are in their lives to get a, more of an idea of uh, their background. And a story I've heard um, is that during one of your startups, your house burned down. 
And I'm wondering if that's true and if you could go a little bit more into that. Yeah, so that the whole house didn't burn down, but yeah, we had a house fire. Um, uh, so it's funny um, how um, life works out, but that the same friend who had made that first introduction to Western Digital that helped me make the transition from corporate world into a uh, startup founder um, was visiting uh, over Thanksgiving uh, Three years ago, I think it was. We just finished building a new home, um, and uh, uh, they had brought some clothes to give to our kids. Um, and my wife had a candle on the counter. It's one of those scented candles, and we weren't paying attention. The kids were going through the clothes, and as you know, they were done looking at the clothes, they were throwing them on the counter. And I guess they piled up on top of this candle. And uh, it took a while. It took about 30 minutes, 45 minutes for the fire to break out but in that time we were downstairs um in the game room so like very far away and uh the um smoke alarm started going off and for some reason I, I guess there's just been too many false alarms in my life um that we just kind of ignored it for about a minute and then finally my wife was like well I better go check on it see if <laughs> see what's going on and as she's walking up the stairs, this is the, the best line. My, my oldest daughter, um, she got there first, and her response was to call down to my wife and say, uh, Mom, you, you better come upstairs. <laughs> In a very calm <laughs> voice. We've since, uh, we've since gone over with the kids. When there's a fire in the house, you yell, fire! <laughs> you can use your outdoor voice. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and we have to practice using the outdoor voice. Um, and uh, anyway, so you know, it came running up the stairs, and yeah, sure enough, one of the um, counters in the kitchen and all the cabinets were um, was on fire. Um, we managed to get it put out, and uh, within like two weeks, it was all redone. The insurance came in and, and put it all together. In my process, in the process, though, my wife had got a pretty severe burn um, on her hand and arm, and. Uh, <laughs> She, after we had put the fire out, she was like, my hand really hurts. And I was, of course, <laughs> I'm a terrible husband. Uh, I said, oh, you're fine. And then I looked at her hand, and it's like skin's falling off. And, uh, I was like, oh, okay. And so we took her to the hospital. And, um, yeah, it, it seems like that's um, uh, half of the challenge of um, doing a startup is... Uh, is keeping your life together while you're trying to keep your company together and um, you see that all the time with founders they um, so often they end up getting a divorce and their their um, families fall apart because startups can be so consuming and and it's not just them tra- chasing their dreams and I, I, I experienced this myself um, I, from the outside it seems like well, they should have just prioritized their, their family life. And, um, but you feel, as a, as a founder, you, you feel an obligation to your employees um, to make sure that um, they can provide for their families. And that's a huge responsibility. Um, at Metric, at one point, we had a, about 45 employees, and, and we had them come over for a, a summer party at the house. And it was a ton of fun, but I, like what I felt during that event was not so much the fun it was more a weight 
um, that, wow, all of these children, their livelihoods depend on my ability to lead this company. And, you know, everybody is playing a part, but ultimately um, I'm the one setting the direction um, and the vision for the company. And, uh, and so there's that pull to care for the employees and their children, their families, and your own family. And so I, I can... Um, I can understand why um, sometimes it can get out of bounds. I don't think it's it's um, very often the case where the um, founders get obsessed with the money or the glory or the fame. I think it's much more um, uh, human um, responsibility that they feel. When you look at your own experiences now with a bunch of different startups, how do you manage the family work balance Um, <laughs> uh, I've done that well in some cases and I have done it poorly in, um, uh, during periods as well um, there uh, so <clears throat> um, one of the mistakes that I made was um, you, know, you read um, Paul Graham's uh, his, he has lots of excellent blog posts on um, being a founder and starting a business and one of the things that he, he talks about is how uh, you're, one of the reasons for doing a startup is to work really hard for a short period of time and get an exit at the end. So you're kind of compressing the years of your career into a shorter period of time. Um, and, uh, and that was kind of my mentality too. And so I would be spend less time with the kids, less time with my wife, um, knowing that you know in three or four years, I would have all the time in the world to spend with my family. And what ended up happening was um, it took longer than I thought, <clears throat> for one. And second, um, I realized that um, I was missing once-in-a-lifetime events with my kids uh, because of the, the, the time I was spending and dedicating to my startup. Um, I would tell myself, well, I'm, I'm doing this now so that I can have um, you know, more time with them and all the time in the world, uh, I'll make it up to them once we sell the company um, or get to a stable point where it's taking less time. And, uh, and what I realized is that like, my kid is only going to graduate from kindergarten once. And it, it, it seems like a really unimportant milestone in the grand scheme of things, but it's super important to them. Uh, my, my child only has so many um, uh, choir concerts that they're going to be doing. And again, like, oh, if I miss one or a few, then it, it's not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. But they remember that. Like, I remember um, my dad was always very busy growing up, but he came to every single one of my soccer games. <clears throat> and I, I was totally average soccer player. It wasn't great. <laughs> but I, I did manage to make the, um, the varsity soccer team in high school And he was just always so um, supportive. And I, I remember that. And if he, he hadn't been there, I would have remembered that as well. And um, so the, my, um, the way that I um, build companies now is it needs to be sustainable for both the business and myself personally. No amount of time 
later in life is going to uh, be able to, to make up for the, the time that you, mi you miss out with your wife uh, and your kids during that startup period. Um, and so, yeah, you'll be working harder. Um, and you're going to have to drop out other things like gaming and sports and maybe other friends. <coughs> um, but there always needs to be that sufficient time for your loved ones. As it, it related to that, you know, I, I invested everything into Numetric, uh, the second company that I started. We raised a bunch of money, um, and um, I was making all these sacrifices for the company. And at the end of the day, uh, ultimately, they decided to let me go. Um, and uh, it ended up being a wonderful thing for me. Um, but right after it happened, I was in a um, uh, very frustrated state of mind. Here I had sacrificed all this time and uh, um, missed out on all these experiences with uh, my family um, because that's what you're supposed to do as a founder and um, like it didn't pay off. Like, there, there was no big exit, there was no payoff at the end. And there, there may be someday, uh, I hope the company continues to do well, um, but um, I haven't gotten anything from that and so it, um, it felt like a, I mean I, I learned a lot, but I didn't get that, that, the windfall that you're supposed to have so you can then go spend a bunch of time with your family. Speaking of Numetric, that's uh, definitely one of the things that I, I also wanted to ask you about. Um, if that's something you feel comfortable talking about, sure. like what uh, what happened that led up to you being let go from the company that you helped found? Um, so since then, uh, since that experience, I've um, you know I've learned that it's actually very common. <laughs> um, for founders to be fired from their own company. Um, the CEO of JetBlue actually, I was listening to how he built this episode and um, he talked about how 10 years in, I mean, he, he got way farther than I did. Uh, public company, um, multi-billion dollar company. Um, and then the, um, the board decided to, to let him go. And um, he, he describes not being able to like when he's at the airport, he can't even look at the the JetBlue terminals because it just causes him uh, pain. And I feel the same way. My company has a a new office on the side of the freeway, and there's the big Numetric logo, and and part of me is like, yeah, that's that's the company that I started. But um, for a long time, it just caused pain every time that I I thought of the company or I saw the logo, um, and so that. It's been helpful to realize that. Read um, uh, Hoffman. Read Hoffman. Yeah. yeah. Similar thing happened to him and his um, uh, before founding LinkedIn. Um, so that kind of helped in the recovery process. As far as what led up to it, um, uh, that company was a uh, a <laughs> very wild ride. Um, we had so many. We felt like more than our fair share of setbacks. Um, and uh, um, I started the company with my brother-in-law. Uh, so, like we were talking about earlier, um, hiring your friends is one thing. Hiring family, working with family, is a whole other level of stupid, I think. Um, and 
so what I tell people now is um, because you'll you'll tell people hey don't work with family and and they'll say oh we get along great and nothing will ever come between family and um, and and what I tell people now is okay let's assume that's 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 true um, but let's say there's maybe a five percent chance things go wrong very very slim chance that you have a falling out is it worth it like is it worth having them at your company and putting at risk your ability to have a normal family relationship because when you're a business owner your family is a like a very important support system for you like I would go have a bad day but I knew I could go talk to my my uh, brothers and my wife and my parents and in-laws and they would be supportive no matter how bad things got but starting a company with my brother-in-law um, that I didn't have that anymore and um, uh, things were awesome for the first couple of years um, uh, you'll hear people say that the number one cause of startup failure is the um, co-founders fighting um, we fought a lot some of it was good and healthy um, uh, but there was um, a lot that was not productive um, uh, ultimately um, what led to me exiting the company was probably a combination of me being burnt out um, and me being uh, not the right person to put on the company um, uh, in December of 2017 I was um, every night I'd come home from work and I'd talk to my wife about how like, I needed to find a way out like this wasn't we just we just finished we just closed our series A funding um, we'd raised uh, I think it was 10 or 12 million in our series A um, Insight Ventures was our lead they're a phenomenal VC um, we had Tim Draper in our in that round as well, as well. Um, and uh, uh, several other really amazing investors um, Aaron Scottard the CEO of Pluralsight invested um, and uh, so like we, we should have been on top of the world um, but uh, I was having a really hard hard time at that point um, uh, and so I, I was having frequent conversations with my wife about um, resigning and uh, luckily before I, I did that um, the board decided that it was we had, we just had a board meeting and it, um, uh, it wasn't the best board meeting um, I'd also hired a new COO um, he was one of the early employees at uh, Workfront and um, the uh, eventual plan was that he would be my successor. Um, we hired somebody who was a, a strong leader. So the Workfront is now, um, I don't think they've raised money in a while, but I think they would be classified as a unicorn. And he was there, he was like employee number four. Um, and I uh, felt like he'd be a, a good leader to take over the company. Um, uh, it just happened sooner than I was expecting. So that caught me by surprise. And, um, I won't say it was a, uh, a pleasant experience. Uh, it definitely sucked. Um, but uh, looking back, it, it's been a, uh, a wonderful thing for me in my life, and it's allowed me to, um, to, to do what I'm doing now, which I feel like is a much better fit for my skills and, um, uh, and what I'm passionate about. 
So let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now, because it seems like that event definitely didn't keep you from the world of startups. And so your current uh, company, Facet, which as I understand started off uh, as a tack pattern, can you talk a little bit about why you started and where it is today? Yeah. So um, Facet is the company that I started eight years ago. Our first client was Western Digital. Um, what happened was I grew the company to a couple million in revenue annually um, and then decided to, to go do this new startup, new metric. And so I hired a CEO to run the company for me. And the, um, the hope was that I would have this annuity that just kept producing money. So, so um, Attack Pattern, or what's now Facet, was a profitable company, um, bootstrapped, we had no investors, I was the sole owner of the company, um, and, and and so I thought it'd be great to have somebody else running it and it just working for me. Um, what ended up happening was um, the the um, I shifted my focus completely to new metric, um, as startups do. It kind of took over my life, um, and um, Facet started to um, not do so great. Um, and so after leaving new metric, um, I took six months off trying to figure out what I wanted to do, spent a bunch of time with my family, went and visited all the national parks in, in Utah, not all of them, um, but s- several of them, um, and uh, uh, um, I'm trying to remember how the actual idea came about. I think it was, oh yeah, I, I do remember now. So um, Steve, the CEO at Facet, um, came to me one day and he said, hey look, I find business, but I can't find devs. Like, can you solve my developer problem? Can you help me out with that? And um, I said, well, you know, we could hire full-time employees and I can recruit. Um, but then we have the challenge of, uh, if work fluctuates, say we get a huge influx of work, hire a bunch of people to do it, and then if it dips, we become unprofitable or we have to let them go, and it's just, it's not great. And so um, the idea... Um, came, but a way to solve it would be to rather than hiring full-time people to do the work, to um, hire subcontractors. So people who were used to that lifestyle and had multiple streams of income. And, um, and that's when it hit me that, you know, back when I was at Microsoft, um, I would have loved to have left. I would have loved to have had a a, a Somebody help me find work. Um, I would have much rather been an independent contractor um, and uh, bootstrapping my own startup and uh, not doing, not having to worry about sales. And here we at Facet had a great sales engine, but not enough, not enough developers. Um, and and so like I started to wonder. Like, it, is there are there more people out there like me? Are there more people out there who would who would like to bootstrap a startup, or maybe just are sick of the corporate grind and review systems and like all the politics, and would just rather um, work for themselves um, as an independent contractor? Um, so we I built a new website, wrote up the uh, the idea on a, a blog post, um, and. Um, started doing some manual um, uh, recruiting to the dev network, uh, messaging people and stuff, and totally unscalable. 
just wanted to see if people would react to it. And I managed to get about six people to join our, our developer network. Um, and uh, we would find work for them, and they would help us do that. <coughs> uh, and then one day there was a, um, uh, somebody posted a, a question on Hacker News. Um, it said, uh, X-Fang engineers, why did you leave and where are you now? Something like that. And um, I thought, oh, maybe people would be interested in hearing my story. And so I posted a comment about how I was ex-Netflix um, and how I started a company that would um, find work for X-Fang and people to do uh, as contract. And for people who aren't familiar, Fang is the Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. Yeah. Um, yep. Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, yeah. Google. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and really, it's... I, when I say Fang, I mean like anybody who's worked at a top tier software company like Uber or Airbnb or Stripe. You know, there there are certain there there are companies that have experience building software at um, web scale and um, delivering software at a really high bar of quality. Um, and uh, um, and so that's that's who Facet was for. We only allow we only accept senior engineers um, who have. Uh, deep ex- or, or several years of experience working at these um, types of companies. Um, so we're a, a very premium, high end of the market offering. Um, and uh, anyway, so I made a comment describing the the, the vision and, and what we were doing, and um, it totally blew me away. The response we had thousands of people visit the website that day. We had. Um, 60 or so people apply and, and these were like really like world class engineers um, applying and uh, we accepted I think 43 of them so a really high um, acceptance rate based on that criteria we had and um, and then there were a bunch of comments um, below it uh, talking about how it was such a great idea and, and as an entrepreneur <laughs> there's nothing like that feeling of getting some validation for your idea and it came all at once and so I was thrilled at the time I was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do next I was just helping out Facet on the side and um, once I saw that response and there's so much interest and demand um, I mean it was it was like buried halfway down the page in comments and yet had such a great response um, that was the missing piece like I knew that there were companies out there that wanted to hire these people I mean that, that's obvious Great companies are desperate for great engineers, and they're willing to pay what it takes um, to hire them. Um, the The question mark was on the side of the, were there other people out there like me that wanted to be freelance, um, but didn't want to have to, or were too afraid to do that because they had safe jobs at, um, at Google or at Facebook. And um, uh, that was the, that was enough of a confirmation, I mean, 40, we can't build a, uh, a scalable business off of 40 people, but that um, the conversion rate of people visiting the site to sign-ups to acceptance um, was more than enough to, to um, convince me that we were on the right track. Yeah, and full disclosure, I was one of the people that actually originally found you on that Hacker News post, um, and that's actually how I found out about Facet and the company and led to this interview now. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's it's people like you that um, 
it, it's, it's more than me just wanting to build a business to solve the problem for you know um, companies that want to hire great devs and devs that want to um, uh, move to contract work. Um, what really, what I'm really passionate about is helping bootstrappers start their companies. Now, I've done both. I've started a, a business um, by bootstrapping, and I've gone the VC route. And for me, the experience of, um, uh, of starting a company um, all by myself, self-funded, was so much better than the VC route for me as an as an individual. Um, that, uh, and I feel like the bar is is too high. I mean, we talked about this. Um, earlier about how there's there's it's so scary and there's so much risk involved with going uh, from full time to I'm a startup founder and by having an income stream um, that gives you a lot more flexibility um, to to um, take your hours up and down um, and dedicate um, more or less time to your your startup it uh, gives people the ability to to build a business and get it pretty far. Um, before they decide to um, take outside funding, if they want to, um, which allows them to get better terms, have more control, um, and have a better experience uh, running a company. Yeah, and so how are things going? Where are things today with Facet? Things are going really well. So um, I, after that comment on Hacker News, I decided that I wanted to, to come back to, to run the company, and so unfortunately I had to let go of the, the CEO that was there. Um, uh, I hired a, um, uh, a friend of mine to uh, help with the operations of the company, um, and um, we spent the last two months of 2018 trying to figure out like what the model should look like. So from the initial 40, we were able to get um, uh, five or six of them placed on contracts, um, and uh, we didn't like. We very quickly filled up our, our um, the sales opportunities we had, and so we said we had to figure out, okay, how do we find what's a scalable way to generate new business, generate leads, um, and what's a scalable way to generate new members in our network. Um, so we're building a, uh, a marketplace company which has the the. Um, uh, classic problem of um, uh, it's a double-sided marketplace so you need to have buyers and sellers um, and until you have a lot of one or the other it's it's hard to um, have it be self-sustaining um, and so we worked on that part of the plan how, what's, how do we execute on this idea and also what are the features that we want to have and the company, what services we want to offer and how are we going to make them available to the engineers that are working through the platform. Um, and uh, the the engineer in me wanted to just start building product. Like, I, I just want to go build this thing, build this vision that's in my head. It's a software product where people can, um, uh, companies can shop for engineers and engineers can create profiles and say when they're available, what the rates are. And uh, um, that would have taken months to build. Um, not terribly long, just a couple months, um, but that would have, um, the problem with building the product first is, uh, or building a, a software product first, is that um, we wouldn't have been able to iterate as quickly as we have today. So like, our system is very 
much um, duct tape and baling wire. So it, it's a, we have a, a, a form that goes to a Airtable database that is connected to intercom, and so it's very pieced together. And our job board is a Google Doc, um, so when new people join, they go look, oh, it's there, um, but it works. And from that, it, that took us like three days. Well, it took us a long time to figure out how to stitch it together, but once we figured that out, um, it took us about three days to build. And then from there, we've been able to iterate and, and learn like, okay, people like this, they don't like that. Um, and you know, the, what makes us unique isn't the so much that the software product, it's the set of services that surround it. So like uh, the support that we we offer um, with the sales team and helping you uh, find interesting contracting opportunities. Um, the uh, support team that helps you with figuring out how to set up a business. So you're an independent contractor, you should have uh, your own LLC. Um, and you should set that up because even before you have contract work, you can start um, uh, recording expenses against your, your business. So your laptop and your desk and um, other things that are related that um, you're purchasing now in hopes of doing work someday can count as expenses for this and, and deduct tax deductions there, um, tax deductions for you. So we help you, we can help, um, uh, and we're building uh, documentation and things like that to, to make it easier for engineers to feel much more comfortable and confident about going from full-time employee to uh, contractor. Um, so with that, with the planning, we've um, identified the, the one KPI um, that uh, is basically the most important KPI for our business, and that's uh, hours build through our platform. Um, it's a, uh, it's a, we take a percentage of the billings, 20%, of everything that's built for our platform or through our platform. Um, and so the more hours we build, the more money we make. Also, the more hour, the, the more money the contractors make, and generally speaking, the more value that the customer is getting because they're receiving more work from the clients. And so it's, it is very aligned with our customers, our, our, the clients that are hiring contractors, the contractors themselves, and us as a business. And so um, we've been tracking that month, and, or that metric for the past several months, and um, uh, it's growing much faster than we'd hoped. And not quite ready to, to share numbers yet, but we do plan. So going back to the, our, my mission to help um, entrepreneurs and bootstrappers, specifically software engineers that want to become founders, um, uh, on our blog, uh, I'll be sharing our financials. So the revenue, how much revenue we're making, uh, what our gross profit is on that number, the metrics around average build, average hourly rate, um, and the like, the operational metrics that we and, and strategies that we are using to to build the business, and it helps to um, uh, provide a like a, a live case study for other entrepreneurs that want to bootstrap their own business, and to help them see like these are the numbers that you should be track tracking. This is how you create a pro forma, um, and and things like that. Well, as a software engineer that is trying to become a founder in the current moment, 
that is something I'll be paying close attention to. Cool. Um, so looking forward to that. Um, in the meanwhile, we're getting to the end of the show, and I usually close it out with a set of closing questions I ask everyone. And the first question is, what is something that has recently inspired you? Um, probably the most inspirational thing um, that's happened to me recently is being fired from my startup. Um, it has totally changed my perspective on uh, startups, on business, on venture capital, um, and uh, uh, also, I mean, it, it certainly helps with uh, the providing a little extra motivation <laughs> um, to um, not so much prove them wrong, but um, uh, prove to my myself that um, uh, I can build a successful business that's uh, good for customers, um, good for the world, um, and it still allows me to have um, balance in my life. Yeah. And I think uh, was it was Steve Jobs that said that a lot of the dots don't make sense until you look. It's hard connecting the dots looking forward. Yeah. But looking back, they all make sense. Yeah. Totally agree. Um, my next question, what is something that people might not know about you or find surprising? Uh, yeah, I've been thinking about that one. Um, I have... Uh, um, I deal with anxiety. Um, I've, uh, I think it's a lot more common than people um, generally like to talk about. And maybe it's not. I don't know. Maybe I just tell myself that. <laughs> so I, don't. I think it is. So. I think it's something that a lot of people, and I think myself personally, also go through. So, um, Yeah, I, I've, I've had... I didn't really know what it was um, for years and until um, uh, my sister reached out to me um, uh, at one point about eight years ago and um, said, hey, have you ever, do you ever feel this way? And um, I was like, you know, yeah, I do. Like, I, I can't I, sit still. I can't just relax. I have this irrational fear all the time and it changes what it is, what the fear is. Sometimes it's that I'm not working hard enough or sometimes it's that I'm wasting uh, time or that I have a deadline or whatever. And um, it, uh, it, it's just always present general anxiety. And um, <coughs> um, uh, it's, sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes it, it provides drive and motivation to, to work hard. Um, but for the most part, it's it's not a great way to live your life, um, and uh, so I think I, I just wanted to um, mention that in case there are people out there who who deal with that, that um, it's okay. Um, uh, um, and uh, there, you're not alone. I think. I think um, before I did this podcast, I got an internal podcast at Amazon, and during my conversation with some of the like senior people there, people also talked a lot about how sometimes um, on record, sometimes off, but just generally dealing with anxiety, dealing with depression, or dealing with a lot of these feelings that come about because you're in such high pressure environments which speaking of which, like you chose the perfect profession to get into this startup. Well, yeah. 
Have you found um, any sort of coping mechanisms or ways of recharging that work particularly well for you? I have, yeah. Um, and I, I wouldn't say there's one thing that always works, but over the years I've collected a, a set of tools that I keep in my tool belt um, to help me with that. Um, uh, uh, I'm glad you mentioned depression as well because that they kind of go hand in hand. Uh, I've also struggled with depression. Um, uh, you, uh, one thing that I, I didn't expect as a founder was um, how lonely it is. Uh, when you're the CEO of a company, um, jet, it, normally your coworkers are your some of your closest friends because you spend all day with them. Um, you accomplish great things together. Um, but when you're the CEO, they there's a um, a, a, a wall that um, you don't put there, but that just exists just by nature of the relationship. Um, and uh, um, there is also that question always in the back of your mind, like, are they being nice to me because they actually like me or because they're my employee and this is their way of you know, winning favor and job security? Um, and so being a founder is very lonely. Um, and uh, so the anxiety, post-depression, um, some of the ways that I've found to cope with it, um, I don't think it's weak to take medication. I think, I mean, if you had asked me several years ago, I would have said, ah, I don't need that. Um, but on occasion when it gets really bad, uh, I will go visit with my doctor and he'll prescribe something and I'll run a course for a couple months to kind of reset my um, what's normal and remind myself that, or, or, or get familiar with what it's supposed to feel like to be normal and not having this um, fear that's always there all the time or sadness that just kind of washes over you like a wave um, at random times. Um, uh, exercise, I've since moving to Utah, I've developed a, a, a very strong passion for mountain biking. And like I'm obsessed. <laughs> I watched so many YouTube videos on mountain biking. This year I want to learn how to, to go off big jumps. That's my goal. Um, but the, the exercise, the being outdoors, the unplugging, the time to think um, really helps um, recalibrate um, uh, in my life. Uh, family time is another tool. Generally, anxiety, for whatever reason for me, drives me away from my family because I, I tend to cope with distractions like gaming. Gaming is a great way to kind of turn off the general anxiety, um, but it's not, I haven't found it to be very healthy for me. Um, but if I can resist the urge to go and escape and instead go be with people that I love and jump on the trampoline or um, uh, play a board game or whatever, then that's um, super helpful. Um, but friendships are another one, and that, that can be really hard as a founder um, because so much of your because you have so uh, so little free time. Um, but the um, uh, dinners, um, vacations, uh, uh, mountain bike rides, whatever it is, um, to force that um, interaction with with uh, friends and that human connection um, seems to help a lot. Yeah, I wanted plus one on everything you said, and especially like exercise I found for myself is also 
my main coping mechanism. And as far as like medication, I think, you know, the analogy is like if you broke a foot, you know, nobody would right. say anything about you right. having a cast and having crutches. But, you know, for some reason when it's mental, there's a stigma attached to it where, um, like in some sense, the physical stuff is stuff that will heal and stuff that you can physically fix. Whereas the mental thing, it's, it's a lot more up in there and you don't really know how it's going to go. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I, I also, as somebody who has gone on medication in the past and found it effective, I think, you know, it's not a blanket, like, there are no doctors on the show and, you know, <laughs> talk to your medical professional before doing anything. But for some people, I think myself and others I've seen, like, it can be a really effective way of coping. And um, I think it just depends on your situation. But when you're in those moments, it's, you know, you want to find whatever that works for you. Yeah, yeah I think there's the, uh, the cultural thing that... that you know, I, I need to be strong and I can deal with this on my own. And, um, yeah. medicine is a way to deal with it. Yeah. yeah. Um, my final question is what is a principle that you live by? Um, tr- transparency. Um, for some reason, uh, I, that's an integral component to my leadership style. I feel like, if employees and um, uh, investors and anybody that's involved in the business um, has visibility into what's going on and what the goals are and what the motivations are, um, it allows us to achieve uh, an alignment and trust that you can't achieve without that kind of transparency. So I will share... um, uh, very intimate details about the company financials. Um, when we hired people at Numetric, uh, we would tell them um, not just here's how many stock options you get, but this is the percentage that it represents of the pool. And a lot of companies won't disclose that. Um, and I, I wanted people to join with all the facts, with all the information. Um, and uh, um, it's super important in the relationships that I have with um, my leadership team, um, and um, I just find it, it to be a more um, effective way to, to, for me to run a business and to run a team. Um, so much so that, um, like the the um, being transparent publicly about. Our, our revenue and our goals and our strategy is kind of scary um, but I think that's actually so there, there is some ulterior motive there in full transparency yeah, of course in <laughs> um, that uh, uh, we're essentially a staffing agency we help people fill contract positions and the staffing industry has a really bad reputa- reputation I think rightly so because they uh, they rely on information asymmetry where the, the company doesn't know what the subcontractor is being paid the subcontractor doesn't know what the company is charging um, and when there's a job posting um, the recruiters will obscure the company name like top company in whatever city is looking for like I, I hate that and so we, we have we're trying to be a very different um, uh, type of agency where um, we tell you exactly how much margin 
we we are taking uh, both the, the customers and the clients. So developers know, and if there's not enough value for them, like if that twenty percent is not worth the services that we're providing, then they we don't want them to um, to uh, um, be forced into using our our platform. Um, and so I think um, by being transparent about all these things to the extreme, it'll help differentiate our business um, from the other agencies that are on the market. And it seems to be working. It seems to be, when we talk to engineering managers, our, our approach is definitely refreshing. Yeah, um, as you know, somebody that um, has dealt with staffing agencies and also uh, real estate agents, uh, not saying anything bad about them, but saying that transparency is something that is very much appreciated. Um, and Robbie, just one last thing before I let you go. Is there anything else that you want to talk about that we haven't mentioned yet uh, that you want to speak to my audience about now? Um, sure, yeah. Um, if there's... Um, let me think. How do I want to phrase this? Uh, uh, I'm assuming that there's aspiring entrepreneurs that are listening to your podcast. And I would say um, uh, the successful entrepreneurs that you see out there, they they don't have anything that you don't have. Um, there is nothing particularly r- remarkable about myself or um, uh, other founders. Or the guy sitting across the table from you. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's. Uh, um, I think a, a lot of times we hold ourselves back because we think we could never do that thing, and and that was me. And then two years later, I was pitching to Andreessen Horowitz, and they were uh, so close to investing in our in our company, and that was like my dream, and uh, I just did it, um, and uh, and so if there are aspiring entrepreneurs out there. Um, I would say um, take the leap yeah if nothing else it's an adventure and you never know what you'll discover about yourself and everything else yeah okay well Robert thank you so much for your time and this has been a lot of fun it's been a ton ton of fun for me too thanks for letting me come in Hey everyone, this is Kevin again, which is a few more things before you go. First of all, thanks for listening, and if you want to support the show, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple or Google Play. That really helps other people find this show. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time, hope you have some great conversations.